You can go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy 3.16 because we're going to be back there. This is part two on the subject that we had before us this morning, the authority and value of the Word of God. Some of you may have heard in time past the account of what happened with the military plane entitled Lady Be Good. It was a... Uh, airplane that was a bomber and uh, was used in many successful missions but one night they were flying back to home base and on their way back uh, there was a powerful tailwind making the plane much faster than it usually went in the minds of um, the, the pilot and those who were with him there uh, they uh, had an estimation in their minds of how long it would take to get back to the base. Not really understanding about the tailwind when it was time for them, they thought, to land. They looked at the instruments and they said, ah, these instruments must be off. And they uh, stayed up in the air rather than landed. But the instruments said they should land. But they stayed up and they went past their base. And as a result, the plane crashed and all the men on it died. It's a very sad uh, story. But what happened to the Lady Be Good airplane is kind of like a microchasm of life itself. Because um, we are, uh, as believers, able to look at the instrument of the Word of God and see how God wants to guide us. Uh, it's our instrument panel, if we want to use the analogy related to the story. The Bible tells us where we came from, where we are now, and where we are going. You remember that account in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus spoke about the house on the rock? And the Lord Jesus said, and, and I, I love that account, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. What was Jesus saying? He's saying we need to build our lives on what he has said or on the word of God. And when we do, we're safe and secure and uh, beautiful uh, account in Scripture. Now in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we have a very familiar verse to many of you. However... I feel it's very important that we look at this verse often and comprehend what it is saying to us. It's saying that the Bibles that we have in our hand are the very words of God. I'm going to go back over this. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God, or we could say the woman of God, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, we mentioned this last week, but it's something we should really have in our minds and thinking. And that's the fact that the scriptures that we have before us this morning are God-breathed. Uh, the New King James says they're given by inspiration of God. But a better way to translate that Greek word, the apneustos, is breathed out by God. 
So uh, what the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, is trying to remind us, don't forget that God has spoken, and he's spoken to us in his word. Now, we're going to be saying more about this. The origin of Scripture is the fact that it was breathed out by God. In fact, 2 Peter 1.21, which we read a while ago, says that holy men of God spake, and we could say, and wrote, that which that they, because they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God had tremendous guidance upon the writers of Scripture so that we have the very Word of God. We believe in verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Verbal means, and don't miss this, all the words of Scripture and plenary, all the, the uh, 66 books of Scripture are all uniquely inspired by God. And uh, you say, well, in the original autographs, yes, but we have that which is so close to the original autographs. And one of the ways you can check it out is do a little study on the Dead Sea Scrolls and see how the, uh, the oldest, some of the oldest uh, manuscripts that we have found uh, so line up with um, the Word of God which we have today. And that's why we sang that song, Holy Words, Long Preserved. Certainly the God who gave us his word is able to preserve his word and that we know that to be true. And, and I like to use this for an illustration, but uh, we say it's verbally inspired and plenarily inspired. Every word of scripture has been given by inspiration of God. And the example, and just listen to this, you don't have to go looking around, but Galatians 3.16 says this. Now to Abraham... And his seed where the promise is made. He does not say to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one. And the seed is a reference to Jesus Christ. And you see, the words are important. It says not to his seeds, but to the seed. And then, of course, we go back and we look in Genesis and see how um, God said to Abram, In your seed capital S it should be, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed, obeyed my voice. So what God was saying is, Abraham, you're going to be blessed. You are obedient in offering up your son as a sacrifice. And he willingly did that. And he says, now in your seed, Jesus Christ coming through Abraham's line, born in the line of Abraham, he, Jesus Christ, becomes a blessing to all the nations of the earth. No matter where people live, when they hear Christ, they hear the Savior, the one who saves from sin. So interesting, so interesting. Now, most people uh, who have known the, the, uh, the Lord for a number of years and have uh, looked at the Word of God know the attributes of God. Uh, and it, I love to look at the attributes of God. If you, if you ever start getting discouraged, just grab something that, has the attributes of God on there, that God is love, God is holy, God is just, God is sovereign. <laughs> a couple of us were discussing it this week. Somebody uh, said, boy, the way things are going in our world. Yeah, the way things are going, the world's not getting better and better. In fact, the Lord said, the believers in the world, you will have tribulation. But God is sovereign over all that is happening in our world. He is in ultimate control. And uh, the, the day is coming when justice will be meted out to all who live on the earth. So what I am saying is the attributes of God, they're so encouraging for us to look at and to understand. But not many people know the attributes of the word of God. 
just as there are attributes for God himself or characteristics, I like the word attribute better, so there are attributes for the Bible that we have. And uh, they can be remembered uh, with the uh, acrostic scan, S-C-A-N. Now let's talk about the uniqueness of the Word of God and the attributes of it. The first attribute that I want to mention is the fact of sufficiency. Sufficiency. The second one is going to be clarity. The third one's going to be authority. And the last one's going to be necessity. See, those four words describe your Bible. Now, people who don't understand the Lord and his ways and are not familiar at all with the Bible certainly would not be familiar with, the, with, with what the Bible teaches of, of itself. Okay? Now, let's talk a little bit about sufficiency. When we talk about the sufficiency of the Scriptures, we say in the Bible or in your Scripture... There is everything needed for the knowledge of salvation from sin and godly living here and now. And that's seen in these verses 16 and 17. Everything we need for a knowledge of salvation, how to go to heaven, how to be forgiven of sins, is found in the Word of God. So we like to say 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 and 17 talks about, the, uh, uh, talks about salvation and talks about sanctification. Salvation? Well, look at 3.15. Go back above 16, and you'll see Paul says, And from childhood, Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. What's beautiful about that is in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul said, Oh, I remember that it's your mother and your grandmother taught you the scriptures. And that's how Paul came to faith in the Lord, your mother and your grandmother. You see, the Bible says very clearly in 3.15, And from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Probably Timothy's mother and grandmother talked to him about Isaiah 53, that the Messiah would come. And that he would be the one who would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was put upon Christ. And so they would point Timothy to the coming Messiah. He's the one that's going to save from sin. And uh, the scriptures are very clear in relationship to this. And they are very sufficient. You'll notice verse 17 says... Uh, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You would be surprised how God has blessed you with the teaching of his word so that you are prepared for the things that happen in your life even during the week, in your work, in your home. You see, the word of God is complete. It's thor- it thoroughly equips us for every good work, for all the things that God wants us to do. Now, when you look at that, you, when you look at this, you see that Paul is telling us that there's a purpose for the scriptures. The purpose of the scriptures isn't just that we become those who have head knowledge of what the Bible says, or we have head knowledge to be able to get in and argue about what the Word of God says. The purpose of Scripture is to equip us 
to do what God wants us to do. And I look at this verse with you. Look at that again. It says, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Now drop down salvation. Now drop down to sanctification. God's working in our lives today. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped. Wow. The Bible equips us on how to live. It really does. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's clearly spelled out here. I like how Warren Wiersbe said it. It says for doctrine. Okay? So the Word of God teaches us. It teaches us doctrine or teaching. It teaching teaches us what is right before him. For reproof, it tells us some things that are not right. Things that we should not do. Check the Ten Commandments. And for correction, it tells us how to make things right, to get things right in our lives and experience, and for instruction in righteousness, how to stay living right before God. So beautiful to see that the Word of God is sufficient. That's your first word. For salvation and for sanctification or allowing the Lord to work in our lives and bring us to the place where he wants us to be. So we say, I know somebody, and they're saved. Don't miss this now. But they don't always show that they're saved by the way they're living. Well, that would be an issue if they're truly saved, but they don't show in their life um, that they really belong to the Lord. That would be an issue of sanctification. You see, once you get saved... The Holy Spirit who lives within you continues to work in your life. And he, he's uh, conforming you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. But sometimes Christians halt that work of the Lord. You say, can, can a person halt God's work in their life? Absolutely. If I choose to uh, get involved in some type of sin and God wants me out of there, it can quench the Spirit. Paul said very clearly, quench not the Spirit. We want God to work in our lives. That's sanctification. We want him to be equipping us for every good work. And uh, he does that within us. Uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, And it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you want to get encouraged today, think about Philippians 2.13. That God's working in your life today. You're right here right now. Because the Lord's led you here now. You're here right with us today. And God continues, you see, to work in our... That's a present tense in there. For God is working in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. And he uses, of course, the word of God uh, to set us apart unto him. Salvation, sanctification. Sanctification means being set apart unto the Lord. So when you trust Christ as Savior, God begins to work in you and your life begins to experience changes so that more and more you can be like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful truth in the word of God. The second characteristic of the Bible is the word clarity. And when we talk about the clarity of scriptures, we're saying that the saving message of Jesus Christ is plainly taught in scripture. And can be understood by those who want to hear it. I am not saying when we're talking about this characteristic of Scripture that there are not some places in Scripture which are a little bit difficult to understand. 
some parts of the book of Revelation, um, things concerning the Antichrist and changes that happen in the world between Revelation 6 and 19. There's some very, pretty difficult things to understand in there. But when it comes to the basics of what God wants us to know or wants people to know, they're clear in the Word of God. Okay? Clarity. Um, but there must be that willingness to understand the Word of God and to really understand God himself. And it takes a work within you. Uh, it takes God doing things. Again, I mentioned some parts of Scripture are difficult to understand. And even the Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, 15, 16, you don't need to look at it, some of Paul's writings are a little bit different to understand. But we need to realize, again, that uh, the truths of the Word of God are very clear, and especially salvation. Now, we were looking at this the other day as well. There are a lot of people who think salvation is based on the, uh, on the scale system. If you have a person with a, a number of good works and a person who has bad works in their life, if the good works outweigh the bad works, then many people feel they can go to heaven. A lot of people think that way. But the Word of God says it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to His mercy He saves us. So if we want to understand the clarity of Scripture, we have to be willing to go to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, enlighten me concerning what Your truth is saying. And uh, by the way, the point, of course, is that those who do not know Christ the Savior... Uh, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So you will talk to some people once in a while and say, I can't understand the Bible. Well, you've got to figure out first of all, are they saved or they're not? If they're not saved, it may be very difficult for them to understand certain things in the Word of God. But repeat, clarity. The Bible is clear on the specifics of what God wants us to understand. And let's take salvation, for instance. You know the verse real well, Acts 16.31. Hey, why don't you say it with me? Here we go, together. Acts 16.31. Believe on the Jesus Christ. Okay, there it is. That's, that's very clear. And I've been around children who've looked at that verse and said, yeah, I do believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross for me. And I want Jesus to be my Savior today. Even children can understand salvation. And many uh, receive Christ as Savior when they're young. What, what's really interesting is um, that the Bible is clear and testifies of its own clarity. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, verse 130. So when we understand that the Word of God is has a simplicity to it and has clarity to it in the things that God wants us to know, uh, we should keep in mind when we have a concern in our lives that we need to go to God and ask Him for help to understand the Scriptures. And when we do that, it is amazing what God will show us because the Bible is sufficient with regards to salvation and living the Christian life, and it's sufficient in regards to its teachings. 
And so we need to develop, as we mature spiritually, the ability to take a problem or an issue or a need and line it up with the Word of God and ask ourselves the question, what does the Bible say about this? And uh, Psalm 25, verse 9b says, The humble he teaches in his way. In other words, if you really want to know what the Bible says about a certain subject, start writing down some verses that apply to your concern. It is amazing what the Lord would do. And uh, I started by doing ABC, and we'll jump to something else. But uh, remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the subject of anger. Does the Bible talk about anger? You better believe it. it. A lot. Yes, it talks a lot about it. And we use James 1.19. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because when we're quickly angered, sometimes we can do things and not have the control that we should have when we get angry. In fact, we should ask ourselves, is our anger righteous anger or unrighteous anger? There is a difference. The Bible speaks about anger. James 1.19. Let's take another A. Anxiety. Uh, is it okay if we get real nervous about something and, and just we just can't get anything out of, out of our own lives because we're just anxious and worried about something? Uh, does God want us to be worried? You can answer that. No. But it can happen to us, can it? It can happen to us when we don't know some things with regards to the future. Anxiety. Well, you would go to a verse like Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So anxiety. Uh, I mentioned before, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, we had a wedding rehearsal up in Denton, and uh, I got out on good old 35E. And it was backed up big time. And I had a wedding rehearsal to go to, and I thought, wow, I wonder if they can get somebody else to do it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it wasn't moving. You've been in it where it moves nice and slow. This one, it was stopped. And I, I go to be, I plan to be there at least a half hour. So I started getting a little anxious. And then I remembered, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. So what do we do when anxiety comes? We go to the Lord. We say, Lord, you taught me not to be ang- anxious. Um, wow. The Word of God is beautiful. There's a clarity to the Word of God. You know, I was going A, B. I'm going to really jump in a minute. I was looking at the Bs, backsliding. Um, every once in a while you hear, well, I know this believer and this believer's backsliding. What does that mean? Well, the believer's not really living for the Lord. And, and they're going back into some things of the old life. Well, you go to Psalm 37:31. It says, "The law of the Lord is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide." In other words, if you don't want to backslide and and do things which are not a part of the um, Christian life, you need to stay into the Word of God. That's what the text said. I looked it up. Backsliding. Give me a verse. Psalm 37:31. The law of the Lord is in his heart. And none of his steps shall say. In other words, when you get the word of God and you start putting in your heart and life and you start thinking through what God has said, it's amazing how God will continue to work in your heart, Philippians 2.13, and you'll continue to mature in the faith. But if you neglect the word of God, if you don't read it, if you don't hear it in, in times of worship, you can, it's certainly possible, to backslide. 
Oh, uh, A, B, C, D, E. Uh, what about something on evil? Um, <laughs> much in the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.22. The old King James said, Abstain from every appearance of evil. My parents taught me that. Abstain from every appearance of evil. Don't let the things you do appear to be bad before others. Remember, you have a testimony uh, to live before an unsaved world. Wow. Abstain from every appearance of evil. We need to be careful. We really do. What about faith? Oh, man. What a subject. Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And there's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So from time to time, I have to check myself. Am I really trusting the Lord? I'm going to go out on the road with my car. Am I trusting the Lord for being with me while I'm gone? Uh, am I trusting the Lord for planning ahead for some finances? Am I really trusting the Lord? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But the beautiful thing of that verse, many people say, see that? If you don't have faith, you're not really pleasing God. But the second part of the verse is that God says He will reward us if we really trust Him. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now, I'm going to give you the tough one. I told you that I, I'm jumping A, B, C, D, E, F, faith. Let's take another subject and ask ourselves, does the Bible speak to this? And you know the answer. The Bible speaks to every major issue of life. Homosexuality. You can normally think of two verses right away. The first one is the Old Testament verse, Leviticus 18.22. The New Living Translation, it's, talk about clarity. The New Living Translation says, You shall not practice homosexuality. It is a detestable sin. Is there anything unclear about that? But yet you'll find people who will argue with the Word of God and will say, Well, the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality. Yes, it does. We do not hate homosexuals. We do not hate people who are in that lifestyle. That's a false accusation. I've met some along the way. I've shared the gospel with very few. But the word of God is clear. The other passage you would think of when you think of homosexuality would be 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says, The unrighteous shall not enter into the kingdom of God, and it lists a number of things. None of their characteristics of people and their lifestyle in this, in this life. And one of them is homosexuality. And 1 Corinthians 6 says, and please keep it this way, an unrepentant homosexual shall not enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not going to go on to the issue of, you know, what about if someone's already saved and they don't believe the Bible condemns it and they go into I'm not even going to go there. But I am going to go where it says very clearly, same reference again in the New King James translation, Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male, a male, as with a woman. It is an abomination. So if you, if you take some subjects you're concerned about, start finding some scriptures and write them down because the Word of God is sufficient and the Word of God is clear and God wants us to use His Word. Now the next word, quickly, is the word authority. 
The Bible, we often use the terminology and we say, the Bible is the source of our faith because salvation comes through knowing what the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is sufficient with regards to salvation and sanctification. And it has authority over our lives. See, we have to remember that there's no higher authority of instruction for mankind. There's no higher authority than the Word of God. This is our authority for faith and life. So we say it this way. Um, the last or final word always gives to the Word of God. We must never allow, and I mentioned these, this phrase last week, the teachings of science, of human experience, or of church councils to take precedent over Scripture. This is our authority. John 17, 17, Jesus is talking to the Father in heaven, and he says, for us who believe in him, for his disciples, he said as well, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. And I, I, I like, I'm going to read this one again too. I like what uh, Wayne Gruden in Systematic Theology said about the authority of Scripture. The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any, would, uh, any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. That's saying a lot. It really is. God has spoken. The God who created our world... And, and what he has said to us and to mankind is found in his word. And uh, we are to recognize and remember the fact that all scripture is God-breathed. And so there are a lot of people who don't understand the value of the word of God. It's very valuable. It's the God of heaven communicating with us. And um, this ought to be encouraging to you as well. That when you're reading the Bible, maybe you're having your quiet time. Maybe you're preparing for a class or a Bible study or something else. When you're reading the Bible, the Lord actually will communicate to your heart, believer. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Believers, sheep, understand when we're in the word of God that this is the word of God and there's no book like it in all the world. It's absolutely unique, and we love it. And uh, we just looked at a few subjects and, and have seen that um, the Bible is clear in relationship to very important truths. The authority test is this, just quickly. The authority test is this. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, Paul writes, and he says, Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. The authority test is this. Does the idea, statement, or presupposition that I am confronted with have man as the ultimate authority or the God of the Bible? Is he the authority? Boy, there's a difference. Man's view on a lot of issues, totally different from God's view, how the Lord looks at things. In fact, um, on January 1st, this verse was given me by the Lord. <laughs> You say, how did he do it? Did he speak from heaven? No. I was reading the Bible. I was reading God's word, and the Lord really spoke to me through this. 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, 
and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Once again, whatever we're confronted with, whatever subject, whatever concern, we take it and we line it up with Scripture. What does God have to say about this? The authority test. The last letter of characteristic for the Word of God is necessity. In other words, we absolutely need the Bible to be communicated to people so that they might be, grow spiritually. We need God's Word to tell us how to be saved, who Jesus Christ is, and how to live the Christian life. First uh, Peter 2, 5, and 6 says very clearly, now listen to this again, salvation verse. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for us. Oh, boy. He is needed. There's no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear. One more thing in relationship to the characteristics of the Bible I want to mention, and it's something that probably you have heard many times before, and the fact is that the Bible has many symbols which tell us the value of the Word of God and the things that the Bible does for us. I want to mention one. Let me mention all the symbols. It's likened unto a sword. It's likened unto fire. It's likened unto a hammer. It's likened unto a mirror. It's likened unto bread. It's likened unto milk. And it's likened unto meat. And each one of those things tell us what God's Word does for us. I want to just very, very briefly talk to you about the fact that the Bible is like a sword. And you'll recall from Ephesians 6, chapter 6, it says, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words, uh, the Apostle Paul was probably looking at a Roman soldier when he wrote that out. The sword he's referring to is uh, Makaria. Uh, it's a small sword uh, which could be six inches in length, or sometimes they were up to 18 inches in length. It was the principal weapon for hand-to-hand -hand combat for uh, Roman soldiers. And it was the common sword that was carried by Roman soldiers on or with their armor. And here's the point of it. Roman soldiers always had that sword at hand when they went out to do their responsibilities. I'm going to repeat that. The Roman soldiers always had at hand and ready for use his sword. Analogy. We need to have our Bibles ready. That doesn't mean you need to carry a Bible around. Most, a lot of you have your Bibles on your phone, by the way, which is real good. It's got its limitations, but it's good. It's kind of hard, hard to mark with a marker, isn't it? Probably you can do it with a phone. You can probably do it. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave the sword to us. And the word for word there is not the word logos, which often is used to refer to all the Word of God. It's rhema. Take the sword of the Spirit. Rhema refers to individual words or particular statements or phrases of Scripture. Rhema talks about specific truths from the Word of God. And this is why you will find yourself saying, boy, I looked at that verse today. Let's go back to Philippians 2.13. Wow, that's good. Well, we need to use those phrases of Scripture for our own benefit 
and for the benefit of others. That's the point. Jesus used the rhema of God. He used the scripture from the Old Testament at the time of his temptation. And, of course, Jesus said to Satan, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You shall, uh, and Satan wanted to be worshipped, and Jesus said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You see, they're small portions of the word of God. They're like the sword that the Roman soldiers had, and it was always at hand. And this is why God wants us to be reading his word, sometimes memorizing his word, and certainly using his word in our lives and experience. So very, very important. Now, in closing, I want to mention this. God's word, of course, is the final authority for our faith and life. It has four characteristics. It's sufficient, it has clarity, it has authority, and it's absolutely necessary. Absolutely. Man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus said. So you see, when you want to encourage somebody, maybe even in your own family, to be in the Word of God, you can say, uh, and, and do it carefully, you can say, you know, Jesus said, we need the Word of God in order to grow spiritually, in order to be set apart unto Him. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Word of God. Very, very important. Now, when you think of the use of the Word of God, Lots of times, believers think in terms of their quiet time. In other words, we're encouraged to have a time every day as believers to spend some time with the Lord. And uh, to do this, I'm going to mention three things real quick. Number one, you need to develop a strategy for Bible studies. Some of you use the Daily Bread devotional. So you read a specific portion of Scripture, a rhema, and um, you read about it. And that's your spiritual diet for a day. You're reading a portion of God's Word. Other people are reading through the Bible. I like what um, Dr. Woodrow Kroll suggested. He suggested that you read your Bible, don't miss this now, one book at a time in one sitting. Now, obviously, some books are large and you can't do it. But he said this. I thought this was so interesting. He said nearly 40 books of the Bible can be read in an hour or less. Think about this now. I'm reading the Bible. How do I want to read it? I'm going to start back over and do this. Read one book at a time. Now, obviously, the longer books are going to take more time. But you can read many books of the Bible very quickly. Nearly 40 books of the Bible can be read in an hour or less. Half the books of the Bible can be read in less than 30 minutes. 26 books can be read in 15 minutes. How do you like this idea? Read a book at a time. I like it. I like it. But you develop your own uh, strategy. And then identify a time and a place. Uh, sometimes people say, I find that people who uh, are not consistent with their quiet time, they may appreciate the Bible and know that it's the Bible, but they, they don't set a pattern. They don't set a place and a time where they're going to read the Word of God. And, of course, the uh, ideal uh, for that uh, is the fact that there's no distractions. If we really want to communicate with the Lord, want the Bible to minister to our hearts, we should identify a time and a place. And then lastly, we should always pray and ask God to use his word in our lives, in fact, to change us. God wants us to be growing more and more to be like Christ. That's the goal of the word of God and God's work in our hearts. It is said this way, I am the Bible. 
I am God's wonderful library. I am always and above all the truth. To the weary pilgrim, I'm a good, strong staff. To the one who sits in gloom, I am a glorious light. To those who stoop beneath heavy burdens, I will give you rest through Christ. To him who has lost his way, I will be a safe guide. To the discouraged, I will whisper a glad message of hope. To those who are distressed by the storms of life, I am an anchor that's steadfast and sure. The Bible, the uniquely inspired word of God. God has given us his word. He has spoken. And uh, we, we kind of don't move along and mature like we should if we neglect his very precious word. And never forget this again also. When you share the word of God with someone else, if you're doing out of the sincerity of your heart, it's up to God, the Holy Spirit, to take your word, the word that you give, the rhema that you give to someone else, that God will use it in their hearts and their lives. Remember the Lord said, and we started with that last week, my word shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I, to, that which I send it to. Let's pray together.